Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And can we welcome all of our campuses, our Germantown campus, West Campus, Appleton campus, online campus, all over Wisconsin. Can we give a big welcome? If you're new to Life Church, we are one church, multiple locations, and we believe that. Uh, that uh, the video, video venue, and and uh, and the video is actually the stained glass of the 21st century, and so we leverage technology every every way that we can. So this morning there are uh, Life Church campuses meeting in multiple locations uh, with uh, a live worship experience, and then the teaching is actually right now going live to those campuses from here from the Germantown location. And so it's great to be with you in Germantown. It's great to see what God's doing. I kind of got tickled at. Uh, at Al's comment, you know, uh, you guys are doing a great work. And he was going to say here in southeastern Wisconsin. He said all over Wisconsin, and he kind of laughed because he kind of knows the whole journey that, that's been going. And so uh, it's great to be a part of a church that, that believes that and that lives that. And so, again, it's great to see you today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Amos. I like famous Amos cookies. It's not where they got the name, but it's the same spelling. Amos in the Old Testament. Uh, it's actually 10 chapters back from, or 10 books back from the book of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. So uh, take a few minutes to find that if you need to. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. But those of you that are regular Life Church attenders, I'm sure that you've got your Bible and you're ready to go. We're in a series called RE, R-E. The prefix RE means to go back or to go again. And so what we are doing in these uh, weeks in this series is we are going uh, through words that have the prefix re that are found in Scripture and themes throughout Scripture that really are transformational. And so the first week we talked about review, and, I, and the word review means to, to examine or to evaluate or to, to, to inspect. And, uh, and I challenge you to do that in your own life. What are things that in 2013 that you don't want to repeat again? What are things that you didn't get to that you want to do? What are some things that maybe you tried and you failed and need to get back on the bike and, and go again? Uh, last week we talked about repent. And that word repent means to turn and to change. And, uh, and repentance in the form of, of Scripture in the Bible would mean that maybe you've sinned and that you've broken the law of God and, and you need to, to turn away from your sinful ways and change, make a change, and, and how to do that and had a great time in the altars. Today I want to talk to you about commit, recommitment, to recommit. The word recommit means to commit again or to go back to your original commitment. And and when you talk about commitment, there is a kind of a misnomer in, in what that means to recommit yourself. And again, I'm from Arkansas, and Arkansas is a much an agricultural community and state. And so please uh, just allow me to give you this little story about the chicken and the pig and indulge me just for a moment. Uh, the chicken and the pig who live on the farm. And uh, they decide they want to do something great for the farmer who's made their life so wonderful. And, the, and the, the chicken says to the pig, you know, Mr. Farmer has provided me with a wonderful house to live in and a wonderful straw bed and, and takes good care of me so I have a great place to lay my eggs. And the pig says to the chicken, yeah, you know, Mr. Farmer, he feeds me all the time. And it's just great and just fattens me up and treats me so well. And so I agree, Mr. Chicken, that we should do something for the farmer. And so they sit and decide, and, and the chicken says, why don't, we, why don't we make him a breakfast? He gets up every morning, he has breakfast, let's, let's make breakfast for the, for the farmer. And, and the, the pig says to the chicken, hey, that sounds great. And, uh, and, and, and the, what should we make him? And so the, the chicken says, well, let's make him ham and eggs. 
And, the ch- and at that point, the pig goes, whoa, 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 ham and eggs. He goes, yeah, he, he, he eats it all the time. And he said, yeah, but for you, Mr. Chicken, that's just a contribution. But for me, the pig, it's total commitment. But I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> in the world in which we live in, that's how a lot of people view commitment. It's a contribution. I do something for a while or for a season. I, I contribute to, but I really don't have a commitment. I'm really not going to give of myself. I'll give something, but not totally. And, and the question I want you to ask yourself today as we talk about recommitment is, do you have a contribution to God or do you have a commitment to God? Are you like the, the chicken who will contribute something, but not everything? Or are you like the pig that in order for to do what God's called you and I to do requires complete and total surrender. Now again, I'm not your judge, nor am I the jury. So you don't owe me any explanation. You don't owe me any kind of whatever. Uh, don't get defensive with me. I'm, I'm not fighting you, okay? I'm not the enemy. I'm just the messenger. But I do think, again, this message, along with this entire series, is very personal and very introspective. And I think as we walk through this passage in the book of Amos that we're going to talk about today, it's going to pull some things out that maybe you need to jot down a thought or an idea or something to go back through over the course of this week. And you may need to make some course corrections. You may need to slow some RPMs down in your life and, and really just for a little while examine your own heart. For you to do that for yourself, not for anybody else, but for yourself. Do you have a commitment to God or a contribution to God? Now, Amos is a prophet in the Old Testament. And prophets in the Old Testament, their job, uh, what they did is they basically were the, ma- was, they were the mouthpiece and the voice of God to God's people. And God's people, Old Testament, the nation of Israel. And they weren't popular um, because typically what they were doing is they were sounding a warning or an alarm. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a false alarm, but it was, it was the fact of God was warning the people. Before God ever brought judgment on his people, before he ever brought major course corrections, he always warned them. If they heeded the warnings, then there was grace. God gave them the ability to make changes. But if they refused to heed the warning, then, then would come judgment. And, um, and so Amos is here, and he is speaking to Israel. They're in a very, very, very dangerous state of apathy and affluence. And I know you think, well, affluence is not a bad thing. Not necessarily, but what typically happens historically with, with humanity is the more affluent that we become, the more apathetic or lax or lackadaisical that we become. They're, they're, they're directly related. And, and, and the less of the affluence and the more persecution that we deal with and the more struggle that we have the more committed and the more focused that we become. And so what's happened in the nation of Israel is they are dealing with unprecedented affluence, resources, material wealth, peace. Uh, The strength of their military was as great as it had been since the days of Solomon. (coughs) Excuse me. And so this is all happening, this, this affluence is happening, but with this comes this lacks this contribution, not a commitment type of ideology. And, and, and it's resulting in this lack of commitment to God. And so Amos, under the inspiration of God, urges them to reconsider their actions and to recommit themselves to God. Now, I'm not going to read. It's not a large book, but I'm not going to read all the chapters. I just want to hone in and zone in on what I think is the crux of this recommitment call that Amos gives uh, to the nation of Israel. In Amos chapter 6, 
starting in verse 1 through verse 7. Now let me say this about this before I get into this real quick. You're talking about this, this is what's called prophecy is what you're reading. We have the benefit of time, so we know how this all plays out historically. Um, and sometimes when you read, uh, these are what would be called the minor prophets, Obadiah, Joel, um, uh, Micah, uh, Malachi, Amos. These are all minor prophets. They, they're not major prophets like Isaiah you know, or Elijah or Elisha. These are minor prophets, but they had a place. And when you read this, sometimes it's almost like you're reading code, like there's something more that's being said than what is actually being said. It's almost kind of like, uh, sorry for the analogy, but the Joker and Batman, you know, riddle me this. It, it, it's somewhat riddled with deeper meaning. So what I want to do is, I think you're going to see the direct correlation, and I'm going to stay very strict to the, to, to, to the text, but I think you're going to understand what he's saying here and how applicable it is to us for us to introspectively ask ourselves the question, am I committed to God or am I just contributing? Because where Israel was at that point in time is where we as Christians in North America are today. Heavily affluent, but at the same time, we deal with apathy like we never have before. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. Zion is the house of God. It's the place of God. It's the, it's the land of God. And to you to feel secure on Mount Samaria, which is the capital city at that point. You notable men of foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Calanae and look at it. Go from there to Hamath and go down to Gath and to Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? It's a rhetorical statement. Basically, compare yourself to any other nation in the world. Look how well you fare against anybody else. Verse 3, you put off the day of disaster and you bring near a reign of terror. For you lie on your beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. Nothing wrong with a good steak. Don't, don't take it out of context, okay? Verse 5, you strum away on your harps like David, speaking of King David, and improvise on your musical instruments, speaking of entertainment, Nothing wrong with entertainment, but just keep with me. You drink wine by the bowlful. That'll get you drunk. You have to pay attention to that. And use the finest lotions. Yet you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. And your feasting and lounging will end. Amos is speaking here. And he's trying to get the attention of the nation of Israel on behalf of God to deal with them that you're contributing but you're not committed. You love God. You serve God. You do all the right things, quote unquote. You go to church on Sunday and you kind of, you do, but, but your heart's not in it. Your passion's not in it. Your actions aren't in it. And the, uh, and, and the blessings of God in your life have basically eroded away at, at your commitment to God. And so he's calling on them to recommit. He's calling on them to re-engage. He's calling on them to, to come back to where they are. And there's four major areas that he deals with. And these are the four major areas he deals with throughout this book. First is discipline with God. Discipline with God. Talking about daily habits. Your daily relationship with Jesus. Amos chapter 6, verse 1, the beginning part. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. 
Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. Complacent, you're lax, you're lazy in your relationship with God. It's not a question, do you love him? It's not a question, do you believe he's God? It's not a question, do you, do you want to raise your kids in the fear and the admonition of God? But it's you've just become lax. You've just become complacent. You've become soft. You've become flabby. You've just become like, you've just... And this happens. When, when things are good, we typically tend not to turn to God. And when things are bad, we typically tend to really turn to God. And right now, some of you are tuning me out because the reality is, is that life's pretty good. And, it's just, it's just, and I just sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah-wah, wah-wah, wah-wah. But maybe, just maybe, that God has brought me here to this point, not because these are my words, but because they're his words, and that maybe I'm just reminding you because the Bible says that all of Scripture is God-breathed and all of Scripture is good for reproof and exhortation and the building up of who we are in Christ Jesus. Maybe God wants to get your attention because possibly you are complacent when it comes to daily disciplines, daily relationship with Jesus. Think about it. Just make some, a couple of basics. Prayer. When was the last time you had a meaningful time of prayer? So meaningful that it was marked by something that moved you or you noted it in a journal or, or, or it was something where you went, man, I really felt the presence of God. I really encountered Jesus. If you can't remember when that was, maybe it's been too long. It's not that you don't love God. It's not that you're not going to heaven. You've just become lax, complacent. You're a contributor. You're not committed. What about the Bible? When was the last time, and Jesus wept doesn't count, that you actually committed yourself to memorizing a scripture memory verse? But yet we say about the Bible, this is God's word. It's a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. And, and, and we, we, the Bible's consecrated and, and it, it's meaningful. But yet it just collects dust on a bookshelf or a coffee table somewhere in our homes or in our lives. It's not that you don't believe the Bible. It's just you don't practice it. Woo, girl, I can't believe he went there. Disciplines like fasting. And I'm not going to stay here long because one of my spiritual gifts is eating, all right? Is that good? But there are times in our life where there are disciplines that the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to your heart. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd, the Bible says. And he'll say, hey, I need you to pull back from this for a season. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit just knocks gently on the door of your heart. That you need to refrain from something or you need to change up something. Maybe it's solitude. Maybe it's fasting. But when was the last time? Maybe it's journaling, writing your prayers out. When was the last time that you involved yourself or surrendered yourself? You changed your daily routine and habit. Because the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart. This is where Israel was. They were complacent. They loved God. They served God. They espoused God. But they were just lax in their commitment. It wasn't that they didn't really care. It was that they became apathetic. And the question I have for you is, how is your discipline with God? If it's been so long that you've had a meaningful time of conversation with God... Maybe you need to recommit to that area. If it's been so long since you've had a meaningful passage of Scripture that you've not even committed a few lines, a few sentences, 21 words, 30 words to memory, maybe you need to recommit to His Word. 
Maybe if it's been so long, because I don't think the Holy Spirit has, is silent. But if it's been so long since you've actually submitted yourself to a discipline like fasting, maybe. That's between you and God. I'm not your judge. But Amos is telling the God's people, you've become complacent. I'm sounding the alarm. As the voice of the Lord, it's, the judge, it's not God's judgment. It's his grace that declares these things. The second area of recommitment he deals with is dependence on God. Dependence on God. Where it's not about me. It's not about me as a source. It's about God. Look on the rest of verse 1. You feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation. You just feel the, the gravitas of that comment, the, the power, almost the pride. See, since the days of Solomon, Israel had not had this type of, of power. Um, the military was at its strongest. Uh, security was incredibly great. Peace was their, was, was their strength. And the capital city was Samaria, and it was Mount Samaria, and it was located high on a hill with steep sides that protected the impenetrable walls of the city of Samaria, of this Mount Samaria. And so what had happened is, is that they felt like they were fortified. They looked around and said, look at our affluence. Look at our strength. Look at our military. Look at the unprecedented peace that we have. And what Amos is saying, hey, do you want a medal or a chest dependent on? I mean, what do you want? I mean, you think you're all that in a bag of chips. You, 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 you think that you are it. And you, and you almost kind of beat the proverbial chest and, and look at who we are and look at what we've accomplished. And he's, he's challenging them in that moment to say, are you dependent upon your military might? Are you dependent upon your financial power? Are you dependent upon your strength? Is your source you or is it God? And that's the question that I have for you today, for me today. Where's our dependence? Do we truly depend upon God? Do we truly lean on Jesus? Do we truly walk out his words? Or do we just take editorial privilege? Just kind of do what we want to do. I mean, we love God. We want to go to heaven. But we tip and we don't tithe. We, we, we give verbal assent to something, but yet we really don't live it out in our lives. We act one way at church and another way at home. Is it me that is my source, or is it God? That's the question. Who's your source? Is it your 401K? Is it your real estate holdings? Is it your investment portfolio? Is it your academic strength? Is it your status? Is it the neighborhood that you live in? Is it the car that you drive or the money that you have? Is it your stocks, your bonds? Is it your physical person? Is it, and some people go, well, look what I've done and look what I've accomplished and look what I've built. But I would go back to who are you dependent upon, yourself or upon God? And it's easy in times of affluence. Listen to me. In times of affluence, it's very easy just to kind of become lackadaisical and just contribute and not really be committed. And here's the bottom line is, you know whether you're committed. You know whether you're dependent upon God. You know whether you lean. We used to sing a song called Leaning. Leaning on the everlasting arm. We don't sing that anymore. Pre-1950s, we were a poor people. 
1940s, World War II ended, 50s, unprecedented affluent hit this country for a 50-year stint. The most, the biggest sacrifice we made when I was a kid growing up, I'm 40, uh, 42 now, is uh, when the color TV would go out and we had to watch it black and white. That was really our hardship. It really stunk to play Atari 2600 on a 13-inch black and white. I've suffered. The reality is, is that we've all been raised in unprecedented affluence. We don't know what it's like to be persecuted for our faith. We don't like to know what it's like to really have to suffer. We've never really gone through a great depression. Oh, we've had a great recession, and it hurts. But we're still eating. They say that just the simple amount of food that we have in America, what we throw away alone would feed all of the third world nations combined. If you make $30,000 a year gross income, you're in the top 10% of earners in the world. Where's our dependence? See, when we don't have anything, we sing songs like Leaning on the Everlasting Arm. We sing songs like, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Because quite frankly, that's the only way we're going to get through. Because we don't have the money to go to the doctors. And we don't have the money to, to, to pay for this and to pay for that. And we have to pray the groceries in and pray that God will bless the crops and, and pray for these things. But today, in this day and age, honestly, the things that we fight over and that we do, it's about our own might and our own strength. And the question isn't, am I blessed? The question is, is who's the source of that blessing? And if it's God, then I'll live and I'll act that way. If I really believe, look, if I really believe that God is the one that's blessed me with my income, I have no problem with tithing. If I really believe that God is the source of my blessings, I have no problem. God says, I want you to give this and help, some, help your neighbor. I want you to, 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 to financially help this person that's in need. I want you to step out and I want, you to, I want you to trust me in the area of finances. If we really believe he is our strength, he is our source, we have no problem. But when we think it's ours... When we think it's mine, when we think I control it and I'm my source and I built the company and I went to school and I got the degrees and I've got all this and I've got a medal and a chest to pin it on, then all of a sudden we become our own source. And that's what Amos is saying to the nation of Israel. You love God verbally, but you don't act like it. Well, I don't know if I really agree with that, Aaron. Well, let me just ask you one question. I'll go to the next point. You tell me the last example where you had to depend upon God in your life as your source. Because what happens when we began to play at our source, this isn't a fear tactic, it's just reality. Read it in Scripture. Historians will show you this. Life is very, it runs in cycles. It's the reason why we study history, because history tells us a lot of what's going to happen in the future, because we're human. There's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, Old Testament. There's nothing new under the sun. We're the same wretched people today that we were 2,000 years ago, a million years ago. The reality is, is that we have a tendency to repeat the exact same mistakes. And what happens in our world is when we become affluent and we become blessed, we become lackadaisical. Unless we really focus and we really lean in. And we become dependent upon ourselves and not upon God. The next area, he says, is your devotion to God. Your devotion to God. This is your passion, your love. Your, this is something that, man, it's very intangible. It's very much uh, non-objective. 
Look at it in verse 4. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches, dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and you use the finest lotions. What he's saying here is all of your attention has gone to you. All your devotion has gone to you. All your devotion has gone to your creature comforts. And there's nothing wrong with having things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having things. But there's something wrong when things have you. How do you know that? It's an internal motivation. Look, we can't judge this devotion to God. You can't judge anybody else in this area. We try to in church. Oh, my goodness. But you can't. Matter of fact, it's a sin. Unless we want to be held by that same standard, judge not lest you be judged. If you want to be, if you want to be judged by people like that, armchair quarterbacks of your life, then go ahead and have fun because it's going to happen to you. But the reality is the only thing that we can really evaluate is the fruit of someone's life. And if they say they're an apple tree and they're bearing oranges, they're not an apple tree, they're an orange tree. And they can say, I'm an apple tree all day long. I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree. Johnny Apple Tree planted me. I'm an apple tree, right? You know, Johnny Apple Tree, yeah, remember? Okay, so I, I, I'm, I'm an apple tree. But no, you got oranges. You're an orange. You're an orange tree. So we can do that, and we can look at someone that says, hey, I'm this, but, but what's really being produced in their life is that. Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sweet, nice person, but really they're just an old, soured, callous, you know, mean person, right? So you can look at the fruit of their life, but the root system of their life, which is what, what Amos is talking about here, the root system, I can't inspect. The only way for me to inspect the root system is to kill the tree. That's what happens in church when we try to check someone else's heart. You can't look at anybody else's heart. The only person that knows your heart is you and God, not the pastor, not the small group leader, not an elder or a deacon or, or a church member or some nosy little gossip in the church, right? Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Tell people that this is an A and B conversation. You need to see your way out. You know what I'm talking about, right? But the only person that knows this is you. That's why I'm talking to you. It's your life. That's why Amos is talking to God's people. Is how is your devotion? How's your passion? How's your love for God? How is it for the things of God? And this is expressed a lot of times. The fruit of this is in your time and in your talent. It's, it's what you do, where you spend your time. You know, because if you really love something, you're devoted to something, you're going to spend your time there. You're going to take the talent, the God-given ability that you have, and you're going to express it there. How's your devotion? Is it all about your house? And in and, and verse 4, your, your house and your couch, is it all about your food and your diet? Is it all about your entertainment in verse 5? Is it all about you in verse 6? What is it about, or is it about God? And the thing for you to ask yourself is ask the Holy Spirit, how am I? How is my devotion with God? Holy Spirit, show me, convict me. If there's anything in me that's not truly pleasing to God, it's what, it's what David did in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Because as Christians, occupational hazard, we can become crusty. If we don't really work to stay fresh. And the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. And that's what was happening with Israel. 
They gave lip service to God, contribution, but no commitment in their devotion to God. And the last thing he deals with is in verse 6, is the dreams of God. The dreams of God. The calling of God on your life. That you are called. The Bible says without a vision, you perish. You don't have a vision for your finances, they're going to die. You don't have a, finish for your, uh, a vision for your health, it's going to die. You don't have a vision for your family, it's going to die. You don't have a vision for your relationship with Christ, it's going to die. Without a dream, without a vision, it dies. Amos chapter 6, verse 6, the last part. You do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Again, this is a prophetic word, and, and there's a little bit of, there's some depth to that. What he's referring to is Joseph, who was the dreamer in Scripture, who God spoke to him. Joseph, the coat of many colors, God spoke to him through dreams. And those dreams, that talent, that ability gave room to him before kings, ultimately before Pharaoh, and he became second in charge in the land of Egypt because of the dream that God had given him, because of his ability to interpret the dream, but his ability to brought him before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh saw the wisdom and the hand of God on his life, although he didn't serve God, and he elevated Joseph. And that elevation, because of the dreamer Joseph, is what saved the nation of Israel from famine that struck the world during that time and brought them prosperity like they had never experienced. And what Amos is saying is, you've forgotten the dream. You've forgotten that God always speaks to his people. And when God speaks, he always gives a vision and a dream and a calling that's bigger than they are, individually and corporately. And as long as you listen to God, his dream for your life, his desire for your life, his plan for your life, and for you as a people, you will follow that. But the day that you forget the dream, the day that you don't grieve over the dream, the day that you just let the dream and the calling go to the wayside because it's been choked out by the affluence in your life, is the day that you die. Because without a dream, without a vision, you will perish. And Israel had forgotten about the dream. And my question to you is, what about the dream of God for you? I, I believe, look, I believe nobody's an accident. No baby born is an accident. God has a plan and a purpose for every single person on this world. And I believe what, what Jeremiah, the major prophet in the Old Testament, says, that, that God has given you a future and a hope and that, and that the dream and the plan for God was, was, was put in you just like your DNA is injected into your life. And he's put something there for you to live out. And the question is, is are you living the dream? Are you LTD? Living the dream. I'm not talking about a Ford car that's discontinued. I'm talking about living the dream. Do you live the dream? What's the dream of God for your life? And once you know the dream of God, the calling of God for your life, are you living the dream? Or you become complacent and lax and lackadaisical, kind of kumbaya, kesara, sara. And if you are, how's it going? And if you're not, why aren't you? Well, I just don't know. No, there's an enemy that goes about like a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. And what does he do? He comes to kill. What does he want to kill? You. He comes to destroy. What does he want to destroy? You. And he wants to take away everything out of you. Take away your dreams. You, again, if you have no dream, you have no reason for getting up, you're dead. Stick a fork in you. You are dead like a Thanksgiving Day turkey. You're done. Understand? But as long as you've got a dream, as long as there's something that gets you up in the morning and puts you to bed at night and it's infused by God, it will not go out as long as you fan that flame, as long as you have that dream of God in your life.
I'm not saying it's easy, but it is doable. What area do you need to recommit? What area are you just contributing to God, but you're not committed to Him? Is it in the daily disciplines? Is it in your dependency? Where you're your source? Is it in your devotion, your passion, your love for God? It is in your dream or your calling? A message like today is different for everybody in this room, but it's meant to be a wake-up call. It was meant to be a wake-up call when Amos wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it's meant to be a wake-up call today. Every one of us in this room have different needs. At the West Campus, you've got different needs. At the Appleton Campus, you have different needs. But God knows where all these things are. And the Holy Spirit right now, in all of these locations, even watching online, He is speaking to your heart. And the question is not, do we need to recommit? But the question is, will we recommit? Because here's what I know. We live in unprecedented wealth, prosperity, and affluence. And to make a statement of, no, I don't, would show extreme ignorance and a lack of any kind of geographical context of the world in which we live in. As I'm working on this, I'm going to prove this point to you, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I'm working on this message. Uh, I was changing, I was traveling this week, and I was changing a flight, and I got an email from a friend of mine who I sit on a board with in, um, that pastors, that's from Sri Lanka, in Indonesia and pastors there, great church. When he asked me to pray, and he talked to me about what I want to show you, um, it's going to be coming up on the monitor behind me in just a moment. And it's basically the CNN, in essence, of of, of Sri Lanka, of, of Indonesia. And he said, Aaron, here's what's happened in the last 24 hours, and I'm asking you to pray. There's been Buddhist monks and other extremists that have paraded through the streets and they have gone into local churches here in our city, churches that have been there, some of them 10, 15, 17 years, doing good work. And they've gone in and with a violence and with a, an extreme amount of anger, have gone in and broken down the gates, have gone into the church buildings and began to just ravage them. They've taken the pastors of these churches, and they've beaten them, they've stoned them, they've broken arms in an effort to be able to push them out of the city. And he said, I just want you to pray. I'm sending you a link. You won't see this in America. You won't see this on CNN, because it's politically incorrect, because, you know, you think that... that that, well, it's just all these world religions. We're all just nice, and we all just play nice, and this is just the way that it is. And, and, but the reality is, is it's not. And I'm just asking for you to pray. And so you can see right now as they're going into taking a, a sign down that says, Jesus saves, busting it up. The police are trying to help, but they're of no avail at this point. And he said, I just want you to pray for our pastors that will return to those exact places and those pulpits, and they will preach this week. Pray that God will give us strength. Pray that we'll be up for the, for, 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 the, for the level of... Pray that we'll stay committed to the call. Here's what I can tell you. Those churches this weekend will be full. 
Nobody will oversleep in those churches this weekend. Nobody will fall asleep in those services this weekend. You won't have to ask anybody to lift their hands and to worship God. You won't have to ask anybody to give. The pastor won't have to have a funny story to get people to, to tithe and just do what God asked him to do in his work. And there's not going to be any, any question about do we really have godly love and care for one for another? Because the devil, the enemy of their soul, is very real and has, and has raised his ugly head. This doesn't happen in America, but it happens all over the world. And as I'm reading this passage from Amos, and as I, I feel directed by the Holy Spirit to just to lay this out and for you to do with it what you need to do with it, and as I receive that and I'm watching this YouTube clip, as I'm sitting on the plane, as people are boarding the plane, there, you know, it's amazing to me, uh, uh, airfare and, and everything. I mean, there's, there's no lack of travelers. Affluence we have. Are we dependent on God? Or is it all about us? Do I really love Jesus? Or is it just something I say on Sunday? Am I really walking in the calling that God's gotten for me? Do I really believe that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? Do I really believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins? And that the thing that he loves more than anything else is his church. And that nothing truly works like the local church works. And that the local church is the hope of the world. Because if I really truly believe that, then my life will reflect that. My actions will reflect that. My, my daily calendar will reflect that. My pocketbook and my checkbook will, will reflect that. My passion and my heart will, will, will reflect that. And I wonder, what will it take in America for us, for us, to passionately love Jesus, for us to passionately serve him, for us to passionately give to him, for us to just do everything that we can. Not, it's a little cold outside. I didn't feel like it today. I got tickets to the game. Got something better to do. Oh, we forgot. Oh, you know, it's been busy. We just want to take a day in and just kind of Father, I pray we are your people. And so were the people that Amos was speaking to. And we love you, and you know that, and you love us. And we're going to heaven. But God, I, I fear that maybe at least in an area of our life that we've fallen away, that we've become lax. That we've kind of forgotten the first love. We've lost a sense of urgency, the sense of conviction, the voice of the Spirit of God in our lives that first drew us to you. It's not about a church. It's not about a building. It's not about people. It's not about a pastor. It's not about music or worship. It's about you, Jesus. And I know in my own life, as I've prepared this message, I've had to confess many times of faults and failures. Even preface this message with saying, I'm not judge and jury because I'm not. But, oh God, speak to our hearts once again. Oh God, turn our hearts to you once again.
in areas of daily relationship and following you, in areas of dependency upon you, in areas of devotion, and in areas of living the dream that you have for us. And I pray today for Deshaun, for People's Church in Sri Lanka, for Calvary Church that we just saw on television. Oh God, as those pastors, I can't even imagine with casts and crutches will make their way to pulpits to declare that you are good. Give them strength. Holy Spirit, fill that place. Lord, I remind you of your word. You are bound by two things, God, the principles and the promises of your word. And the prom- one of the promises of your word says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, which is what we just saw, that when we submit ourselves unto you, O oh God, that you will raise up a standard against him. That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And that we are overcomers by the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross and by the word of our testimony. So we declare in faith, thousands of miles away, God, of your goodness and of your graciousness, God, I pray your blessings be upon the church in Indonesia. Your blessings be upon the believers in Indonesia. I pray, God, that you would give them peace that passes understanding. God, give them strength through this trial and through this persecution. I pray you would shut the mouth of the devourers as you did the lions as Daniel went into the den. I pray, oh God, that you would just show up and that you would move. And I pray, oh God, get a hold of our hearts as a church in America today that we will not allow or, 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 or get to the place where those are the things that have to move us. But oh God, let us be moved simply by the whisper of the Holy Spirit. We love you. Let us be committed not contributors to you. In Jesus' name.